In the introduction to the Bible Companion by uh, Brother Roberts on the daily Bible readings, he makes the statement, The mind is naturally alien from God and all his ideas and cannot be brought at once to the divine likeness. It is a work of slow development and can only be achieved by the industrious application of the individual to the means which God has, excuse me, has given for the purpose, namely the expression of his mind in the scriptures of truth. Spiritual mindedness, or a state of mind in accordance with the mind of the spirit, is displayed in the scriptures. As displayed in the scriptures, can only grow within a man by daily communication with that mind. Away from this, the mind will revert to its original emptiness. In the 119th Psalm, verse 129, we read, "The testimonies are wonderful. Thy testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, doth my soul keep them." In the next verse, the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple, or to the young. <coughs> I'll try to look up at y'all more, but uh, I've got trifocals here. And if you ever try to get used to trifocals, uh, when you're reading and changing where you're looking, it's... Uh, I have not adjusted to them yet, so. Um. So also we see in this introduction here the words spiritual mindedness. And it can only grow within us by daily communication with the mind of God. Spiritual mindedness is wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 through 15, Paul speaks about divine wisdom. And reading from, from the Diaglot, we see, Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but that spirit which is from God that we may know the things graciously given to us by God, and which things we speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but by the teachings of the Spirit, unfolding spiritual things to spiritual persons. Verse 14, Now an animal man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand because they are spiritually examined. But the spiritual man examines indeed all things. Yet he is examined by no one. Wisdom is knowing and doing that which is best. That is, living in harmony with God's plan. The scriptures say that all things, that all others are fools. 
wisdom is the, the, the desire to thoroughly examine ourselves and try to eliminate all that is not in harmony with God and try to develop within us the qualities that are pleasing to our Heavenly Father. Wisdom and fool are contrasted many times in the scriptures. The fool is being self-confident, relying oneself, motivated by natural thinking. Proverbs 28:26 says, "He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool." Psalms 14.1 and 53.1, we see the words, The fool hath said in his heart, finish it for me. There is no God. In Romans 8, verses 6 through 8, we read, For to be carnally minded is death, but to, spirit, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. I want to read from Help Us Israel. Brother Thomas, on pages 76 and 77, the enemy within the human nature is the mind of the flesh, which is enmity against God. It is not subject to his law, neither indeed can be. Just read Romans 7, 8, 7. The commandment of God, which is holy, just, and good, being so restrict, restrictive of the propensities, which in purely animal men display themselves with uncontrolled violence, makes them appear in their true colors. These turbulent propensities the Apostle styles sin in the flesh, of which it is full. Hence, he also terms it sinful flesh. This is human nature and the evil in it. On page 77, it says, Human nature or sinful flesh has three principal channels through which it displays its waywardness against the law of God. These are expressed by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All that is in the world stands related to these points of our nature. And there is no temptation that can be devised, but that assails it in one or more of these three particulars. The world without is the seducer, which finds in all animal men 
unsubdued by the law and testimony of God, a sympathizing and friendly principle, ready at all times to eat of its forbidden fruit, the sinful nature we inherit. It is our misfortune and not our crime that we possess it. Our natural condition is a sinful nature. Naturally, we do not have wisdom. The wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. All worldly knowledge is foolishness. We can say then that one thing is wisdom and that is godliness. Regardless of the tremendous mental accomplishments of men, such as we name many ones as far as the world goes. You can name Aristotle, Dr. Jonas Salk, uh, Einstein, Werner von Braun. These people had tremendous mental powers and creativity. And this was far beyond anyone, but did not have the godly wisdom which only leads to the grave. Genesis 3.19 For dust thou art, finish it for me, and to death shalt thou return. Only one path leads to life. All others lead to death. That path is wisdom. Let us continually evaluate our actions and face the facts. Is it wisdom or folly? Is it according to whether it, it is according to whether it contributes to godliness or not? It is very important that we distinguish between true wisdom or the wisdom of God and worldly wisdom. They are not compatible. They are opposites. All throughout Scripture, the thoughts of the natural man are described as false or foolish. In Jeremiah 10.23, we read, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. And directing his steps is wisdom. The third chapter of Proverbs gives us more words concerning wisdom. Verses 5 and 6 say, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not 
unto thine own understanding, or upon thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Think about this promise, brothers and sisters. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. God will not direct our path unless we do our part and excuse me and acknowledge him in all our ways. The desire to please God must be foremost in our mind at all times. And this desire must be stronger than any other desire that we might have. Proverbs 21.16 says, The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. Well, let's look at this present generation of man for all its knowledge and education and self-glorification and inventions is not clear to true wisdom. He's not, I'm sorry, closer to true wisdom. No, not closer, but farther from it. These things are detriments to true spiritual wisdom. Wisdom of the world pulls us from godly wisdom. And as we know, the things that we encounter in the world today, that's on the news, all those things. Are counter to godly wisdom. Our friends, co-workers, and others can influence us. We cannot get pulled into their mode of thinking. If, we, if our friends are doing things that we know are wrong, that are not the thing to do, we need to, we need to let them know. We need to let them know what is right and wrong. That can apply to all of us, those of us that are still in the workforce, if you're in school, whatever, it's, it's around. There are always pulls, and most of the time they are things that are not, not godly. As we know that friends that are not godly, that do not want to do the things that, that we know are right, maintaining those friends, they have a greater influence on us than we realize. 
we are more likely to adopt and follow their ways than we are likely to change them. The animal nature is a strong pull, and we must continually strive to maintain the spiritual mindedness and wisdom necessary to do God's revealed will. In Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes 12.1, we read, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when they shall say, I have no pleasure in them. And verses 13 and 14, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work in, into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. In the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul gives the divine estimation of all animal thinking and natural material, materialism and exposes the foolishness of such empty thought and concepts. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? God hath ch chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The wisdom of the world comes to naught. The Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. And in the third chapter, verses 17 and 18, he puts these chapters in perspective by categorizing human learning as a stumbling block in the way of life. Verse 18, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be or become wise. We know the example of Paul with all his human learning. He cast it off. He put it behind him as empty and useless. Verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 3, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. The word wisdom occurs over 100 times in the Old Testament. And in many of the references, we are told that wisdom must be hunted for as treasure. 
diligently sought for. And we must strive for it. How do we strive for it? Through study and meditation. Study and excuse me, and study and meditation of God's word. Over half of all the occurrences of this word wisdom are in the writings of whom? Solomon. Here was a man with every possible advantage, and he started out so well and wise. God gave him wisdom beyond any before or since, except Jesus. As the scriptures reveal to us, when Solomon was old, his alien worldly wives turned his heart from God. For all his wisdom, his beautiful, clear, and powerful writings about the wisdom of serving God, he was led to failure. Very sad. But it's a lesson and a very good lesson and instruction for us. Solomon's failure does not detract anything from the value of wisdom, but it does teach us the tremendous power of the flesh. That it could cause such a capable well-blessed man to turn aside from wisdom. Perhaps Solomon's incompatible, incomparable blessings caused his heart to be lifted up in pride. And pride is but a very small step to destruction. Pride can so easily blind wisdom's eye and can lead one captive. And that can be a whole other subject to, <laughs> to approach. Reading again from Elpis Israel, page 87. Brother Thomas says, Men have not yet learned the lesson that all they are called upon by God to do is to believe. His word and obey his laws. He requires nothing more at their hands than this. If they neither believe nor do or believe, but do not obey, they are evildoers and at enmity with God. He asks men for actions, not words, for he will judge them according to their works, in the light of his law, and not according to their suppositions. I'm sorry their suppositious feelings and traditions. The reason why he will not permit men to prescribe for their own moral evils is because he is the physician 
they the lepers. He their sovereign, they the rebels against his law. It is his prerogative and his alone to dictate the terms of reconciliation. Man has offended God. It becomes him, therefore, to surrender unconditionally. And with the humility and, and teachableness of a child, to receive with open heart and grateful feelings whatever is the wisdom and justice and benevolence of God. He may condescend to prescribe. Solomon's wisdom served a divine purpose. His life was used to record essential teachings and lessons. He was tried and he failed because he forsook the way of wisdom. We can never take salvation for granted. It is a matter of an individual all-out effort and fear and trembling. Reading again from a book by Brother Estep Collier, Conviction and Conduct. If you haven't read that in a while, it'd be good to look it over again. There is only one work in which God has excuse me, any actual need of your assistance, and that is the work of your own salvation. If then God regards you with favor, from his point of view, your most important task in life is to make your own calling and election sure. Any other work you may perform might just as well be done by others. All that is required of you is that within the limits of your opportunities, you shall do your best. In Job 28, we have the first scriptural discussion on wisdom. In the first 11 verses of the 28th chapter, Job describes the tremendous effort and knowledge man will put forth for natural things. Then in verse 12 we read, but when shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man knoweth not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. The depth saith, It is not in me. The sea saith, It is not in me. It cannot be gotten for gold, and is greater than all treasure. And in verse 20, we see, Whence then cometh wisdom? Where is the place of understanding? I have a couple questions there. God understands the way 
And to man he saith, in verse 28, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Solomon in Proverbs impresses us with the importance of wisdom. He teaches us the emptiness and foolishness of our natural minds and the need to search for wisdom. In Romans 8.6, the diaglot says, For the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace. The mind of the spirit, spiritual mindedness. One of the things that Brother Roberts, in the introduction we read to the Bible Companions, spiritual mindedness. Only by the constant assimilation of divine wisdom, by, by constant study and reading, do we ever become spiritually minded. If we neglect and do not study constantly, our minds revert back to the original emptiness spoken of again by Brother Roberts in the introduction there. All things tend to encourage and feed the mind of the flesh. Attaining divine wisdom is a slow and uphill battle for our mortal and fleshly minds. In verse 7 of the first chapter of Proverbs, we read, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. A recognition of the reality and authority of God is the very beginning of true learning and true wisdom. Wisdom, godly wisdom, scriptural wisdom, is not hidden from man. God's beauty and order of creation is continually around us, as revealed in the scriptures. All wisdom, all true knowledge and understanding must start with God's word. In Proverbs, the first chapter, the 22nd verse, we see it says, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity, or young ones? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Verse 23, Turn you at my reproof, behold, I will 
pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. In the third chapter. Verses 11 through 20. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, even as the father of the son in whom he delighteth. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things that canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, by understanding hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken, are broken up, and the clouds drop down the dew. As we see from these introductory words in Proverbs, we all fall short in our search for divine wisdom. Do we drift along from day to day, taking for granted the salvation and wisdom revealed to us in the Scriptures? We must renew our minds daily. Determined to use every effort and opportunity to know more and more of God and of the things that He has revealed to us. Psalm 119, 165, we read, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Isn't this a wonderful condition? Have we great peace? The Revised Standard Version of that says, And they have no occasion for stumbling. In Proverbs 2, the first six verses We see the words, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear into wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding, yes, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for a hid treasure. 
Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. So we see these these words out of his mouth. Cometh knowledge and understanding. Seek as for it as silver, as for hid treasure. This knowledge of God must be searched after diligently as for hid treasure and for gold and silver. Besides searching for it, we must sacrifice for it. Sacrifice anything that might stand in the way. As the man in Matthew 13.44, where the man who had found a certain precious treasure in a field went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Life-giving wisdom is a precious gift of God to those who seek to please Him and conform to His desires. The way of wisdom is defined by Paul in the words to the Philippians in chapter 3 of Philippians. Wherein too we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. If we truly seek divine wisdom, we must honestly and consistently walk according to what we understand and put away what we know to be out of harmony with divine perfection. I'll tell you a little story now. I'm not much of a storyteller. Need need Brother Robert up here to tell this. It's a it's about a dog and a lion. And uh, some of you may have heard it, or but unrelated to wisdom. This man was in Africa and he had his dog and the dog got away. It was an, it was an old dog, 12, 13 years old. Got away and was found an old bone. He couldn't find it. He found an old bone, so he's chewing on a bone. Here comes this lion after him. It was, a, it was a young lion. And he thought, oh, well, here's a easy catch for me. So here's this old dog. He's chewing on a bone and the lion comes up and gets ready to pounce on him. And the dog turns around and says, Boy, that was sure a good lion. So there was a monkey up in the tree watching what was going on. So he jumps down and goes over to the young lion and tells him what happened. And says, So he jumps on his back and they hear this dog is still sitting there with his bone. And he sees this young lion coming after him. 
stocking up on him. He says, oh, man, what am I going to do now? I'm in big trouble. <coughs> Excuse me. And so he's, here, here comes the lion with the monkey. and He gets ready to jump on him, pounce on him again. The dog turns around, this, this <coughs> older dog, and he says, Where's that monkey? I sent him an hour to go to get me another lion. So the message here, the wisdom of that dog. Um, Well, I guess I'd put it, you know, everybody kind of draws their own conclusion, I guess, but the wisdom that is, is there, same for us, if we're... You know, in, in situations, we can apply that. Um, of course, we, can, we apply that, the wisdom, godly wisdom in our lives, regardless of what we're doing, where we're at. In the book, What is Truth? by Brother John Peake. <coughs> On page uh, 44. And I don't, I don't know when this is written. The winds of change have swept violently over the world in the last half century, changing radically its social structure and sense of values. Our Christadelphian body has not escaped altogether from these worldly influences. We and our children must have much contact with the world as we strive to survive in an increasingly complex society whose increased pace of life leaves people confused and exhausted. Our children are subject to the new ways of thinking and standards of morality. They naturally accept without too much question what they learn in schools and from their worldly associates. And as we know, most colleges nowadays, well, probably goes, I've been out of school for a while, so it probably goes back to the elementary school as far as the liberal ideas on, on things. So our children are subjected to the new ways of thinking and standards of morality. They naturally accept without too much question what they learn in schools and from their worldly associates. Humanism and even atheism are increasingly supplanting religious thought in the more populous churches. What people feel is good for survival and human concerns largely duplicates, I'm sorry, largely displaces concern for divine standards of human conduct. Let me read that again. What people feel is good for survival and human concerns largely displaces concern for divine standards of human conduct. We have new thinkings on morality. Dress. We have new thinkings on 
things like evolution, abortion, the thinkings on cohabitation, these things that we have to make decisions on. They have to be godly decisions. As parents, we must be we must be strong. We must monitor what our children do. Parenting is a job. It's not to be taken lightly. to comment further on that it's it's a harder job every day it's a harder job than when we're raising our children there's more things going on there's more things happening in in the schools strictness overcomes liberality You can always be strict, you can have tight rules, you can loosen up, but it is very hard to go the other way. Some of you may know that I uh, I refereed high school basketball for about 25 years. You start out refereeing that game loose and boy, it's... It's rough trying to tighten up on it because toward the end of the game, if it's close, it gets mighty rough. And if you've been calling that game loose, you, it's, you just can't hardly get it under control. So I think the same thing applies in most anything with decisions. You can be strict. You can loosen up. But if you're loose, it's real hard to tighten down. Children are going to be uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, They will work on you to get their way. Us adults work on people to get our way. If you have a job, you work on somebody. If you want to raise or whatever, you still... uh, You know, there's the psychology there. But, uh, again, uh, we have to keep things with the godly perspective. One of the things that uh, a time idea here is we always have time to do the things we want to do. And so, we need to, with time management, use the time to our our best to serve God. Put that first. Manage time for God first. 
not for doing other things. Make them secondary. Don't make God secondary. Because the study of God's Word is where the wisdom that we need comes from. Uh, In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 23rd verse, we see the words, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. We can read that as, Let us hold fast the confession of hope. And some of you may have this in your Bibles. But the thought here is the idea of, I like the definition of hope as confident expectations. So we see, let us hold fast the profession or the confession of our hope, this confident expectation. In every scriptural subject, we usually arrive at the same point, the the fulfillment of the only complete man that ever lived, the complete fulfillment of the divine wisdom of the ages. Isaiah says in verse 11, in chapter 11, the second verse, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, we see the words, Jesus Christ is of God, made into us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Here is that true life-giving wisdom. Christ is our wisdom, and our wisdom is Christ. In Him, and through Him, and because of Him are all things. In Him, declared Paul to the Colossians, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let us therefore live in Him and for Him, grow up into Him in the wisdom of God. Through the Word, for wisdom is the principal thing. And I have one thing here I'd like to close with.
just didn't turn out real well, so I don't know if you can see it in the back or not, but we'll, we'll read it. It's a poem by Brother John Lee. And it was, I'm not sure how old it, uh, found in an old book. Uh, probably written, the book it was, it was in 1909, so. Lift up your heads for your redemption, redemption draws nigh. God in his love has spoken, and lo, he cannot lie. There is an age approaching when saints shall never die. Uh, Arise, the day is dawning across the eastern sky. The heralds of the morning proclaim salvation nigh. (laughs) And soon this world of trouble with all its want and woe shall change for love and glory whose joys no end shall know. The glorious sun is rising whose beams the world shall bless and bathe the earth in glory and light and happiness. All clouds of superstition shall then have fled the scene and in unsullied Savior eternal truth shall glean, gleam. All sin and pain and weakness shall ever cease to be. All sorrow and all sighing but be lost in ecstasy. Though now the night has sorrow, the morning shall have joy. A joy whose peerless blessings shall never know alloy. Thank you.